RadioInfluence.com. Ah, they say that there's no place like home. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, after being in my house for over a year, there is nothing like traveling. And the, the, oh my God, the airlines are packed. I'm back from another trip. This one to New Jersey, way, 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 way up there, Vernon Valley, Vernon, New Jersey, and over to New York State and in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and back, and just had a great time, a great time, great time. But it's great to be here with you on the Rock Stops Here podcast. All right, we got a good one today. We got a baseball pitcher, a pitcher that pitched in the major leagues, and he also coached for over a decade. Uh, Mark Valdez, and he's a Tampa native, and he's been around, he played in Japan, so I'll, I'll give the proper introduction, we're going to get to Mark, real good guy, very interesting on what's going on now with baseball and this sticky stuff, and the pitchers can't use it, and they get suspended, and is it going to help Major League Baseball? Baseball's trying so hard, so hard to try to get new fans to come on in. Um, you know, I just, I, you know, it, it, some people hate this. It is what it is. It is what it is. There's no clock. It's a slower pace game. There's a lot of nuances. Either you like it or you don't. That's the way I look at it, but we'll get into that. I do want to say that my hat's off, even though I don't have a hat now, uh, to the Tampa Bay Lightning organization on what they have been able to do. Bringing with hockey here where we are, where I'm broadcasting is hot and humid Tampa Bay, Florida. And it really is amazing when the founding father, he's in the Hall of Fame. He was one of the greatest players ever. Phil Esposito, Boston Bruins, New York Rangers, just a legend. All right. A character, a good guy. He'll tell you how he feels. He can be ornery. He, he's a straight shooter. He's I like him. I've always, always, always really got along with him. And what he was able to do, he had a vision. And of all the success he had in hockey, I mean, he's legend. If he, he can't go into Canada and walk on the street, same thing in Boston. He's recognized. Um, but he he had this vision of bringing NHL hockey, National Hockey League quality hockey to Tampa, Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida. And, you know, the financing, it was hard to get. He went over to Japan. He's told the story many a time. And, you know, hockey, I thought you said sake. Hockey, we give you all this money for hockey, not sake. He said this many times. And he was able to get it done. And what, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're one of the best organizations, not only in the NHL, but in all of professional sports. And what Jeff Vinnick, the owner, has done, he had this vision when he said, great weather, year-round, you know, in the winter, there's no more shoveling, you know. He had a ownership, a little piece of the action of the Boston Red Sox, and he was from the Northeast. And, and he said, the weather, you have a city that's on the water, and it's so livable and there's land available near and right around the arena. Oh my God, I'm going to do something with this. And $4 billion later, if you're not from the Tampa Bay area or haven't been here in say five years, 10 years, 
what what he has done with downtown Tampa, it, actually the Channel Side District, it's amazing. There was so I just want to say I just want to start off, you know, coming off these. Here we are with the Stanley Cup Finals. And what the lightning, what he has done, and also transformed downtown Tampa. It really is amazing. And we are one of the fastest growing areas in the country. The amount of people that are moving here daily, not only to the state of Florida, but to Tampa Bay and Tampa more recently. You know, St. Pete was the one that they expanded. It wasn't God's waiting room anymore, you know. And what downtown St. Pete has done, and I know a lot of people that have moved down there from the suburbs, and now Tampa is the hot spot, and then Champa Bay, and what the Lightning have been able to do, it really, really, really is an incredible time. All right, here we go. Let's get to our guest. That's why you're tuning in, right? You want some good baseball stories? This man does. I'll tell you how I met him. He says that I interviewed him one time uh, years and years ago, but I mean, he played on the, on the highest level, Major League Baseball, a pitcher. Mark Valdez. All right, he came out of Jesuit High School. He gets drafted by the Cincinnati Reds. Wait a minute, this story that he tells is great on how little they offered him to sign and what his mother had a few choice words for that scout, for that, that representative for the Reds who came to his house. And he said, you know what, screw that. I'm going to go to college. And he plays at the University of Florida, and he was very appreciative of that. It's funny how it's changed. It used to be, I was always told, if you get drafted in, in a Major League Baseball, you go. You go in the minors, man. You use the wood bat, you go. College, It's uh, that's nice, but no. Baseball, you know, to try to make it, it's really hard. But boy, th- th- things have changed a little bit. You know, it's different for everybody. But he goes, the Marlins draft him. He Each year he was switching. He had, what, six, seven years in the major leagues. Very good career as a pitcher, Mark Valdez. He plays over in Japan. Not only playing in Japan, but the lifestyle. He embraced it. He loved it. And then over a decade as a pitching coach in the New York Mets organization. And now he is with the big league approach, teaching kids the mental aspect of the game. He's a good dude. Here he is. Enjoy some great stories, Mark Valdez. All right, Mark. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks so much, uh, Mark Valdez, uh, sitting with me here on a warm, humid day in Tampa Bay. But we're inside, inside the big league approach. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Rock. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, you're working now with Jason Michaels, the big league approach. And I was going over like, boy, now I'm assuming you knew each other for a long time because... I see Jesuit, and then I see. I just saw the progression. I'm like, you know, did you know him for a long time? Yeah, yeah. He's he's actually really close friends with my two brothers. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. So he he's best friends with them, uh, and then I met him through my brothers. Uh, that they're the same class. They went to Jesuit together, and then of course through the minor leagues and then the big leagues when you know we played against each other. So you get along, you never have any oh, absolutely. You never have any absolutely. disagreements or anything? He's know? a great guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a hitter. I'm a pitcher. <laughs> We're definitely going to have arguments over little things. 
All right. I do want to get in, obviously, to your career. I like to get behind the scenes, you know, any stories and just what it was like, how to get to the top, how hard is it to get there. But I just briefly, I got to start you being not only a pitching coach, a former major league pitcher, what major league baseball is doing now, stopping pitchers from using the spider tack, anything, I guess, other than sunscreen, um, in the middle of the season. That's where the pitchers seem to have a problem. If you're going to do it, don't do it in the middle of the season. Now, you, you, you played and you coached. How do you feel about what Major League Baseball is doing for, to the pitchers? I just, I just think the head honchos of Major League Baseball, are, they're just not getting it right. Um, definitely not in the middle of the season. I think that's the wrong way to do it. I think they should have talked and then and then the players union should have stepped in and it should have been done towards the end of the season, get it done and that way in 2022 there's no question marks about it. Now rosin and rosin the rosin bag and and uh, and the sunscreen it's that's tough to monitor. It's already sticky, but so is bubble gum or Gatorade and Coca-Cola if you, you know, use your spit and saliva and spit on the ball and you can get sticky stuff that way when i played we didn't have spider attack okay. so i've never even seen that did you use anything and the reason here's why i'm asking like if anybody's listening they got kids that are playing sure. or maybe they just played high school ball and they're like all right why do you need it because i'm asking you i have felt major league baseballs they seem to me that they are so slick compared to balls that like amateurs use it's different there's hardly any thread there so do they need it do do, do they need it some players do absolutely um i used a little bit of pine tar at times especially on cold days playing in colorado or april may somewhere where it's colder normally than it is down south here in florida okay it just helps for the grip and i know for a fact talking to lots of hitters before that they don't mind a little pine tar they don't mind it okay. it saves them because if a, a fastball can get away it can get away and you can you could really hurt somebody so a little bit is fine but this new spider tack I, I don't know what it is um i've just seen it you know on youtube or whatever right googling it right what the, that these guys are using and yeah it's going to increase that the rpms and and the way the ball moves and everything no there's no question about it but a little pine tar here and a little rosin or mm-hmm. sunscreen which mm-hmm. we all need in in Florida or outside, right. not a big deal for me. Right. All right. So you went to Jesuit. You go to the University of Florida and had a really successful career. Then you became a first round draft pick, correct? Yes. Weren't you drafted prior out of high school? I was. Uh, okay. So was. here's my question. Yes. I've asked all former major leaguers and it seems to be kind of split. The old mentality I used to get when I would uh, talk to people in baseball, they're like, you know what, out of high school, you should go right into the pros because college, you're not playing every day. There's a wooden, uh, there's not the wooden bat. It's a grind. Get right into it. You're going to get better training. And then as these programs have gotten better, I've had some people say, you know what, I wasn't ready, mature enough really to go into the pros. So it's, it's unbelievable that you, you know, you're a kid and you get drafted and then to say, nah, I think I'll go to college. What was your mindset at that time? Well, it's funny that you bring it up. My mindset was at first, I remember in my senior year in high school, the Kansas City Royals called our house and asked me if I would sign. And they said, well, we're trying to pick him close in the fifth round, sixth round, seventh round. And would your son sign for $40,000 at the time? That's a lot of money. There's no question about it. 
So I was like, I don't know. I was going to go see a movie with my friends or something. So I tell my dad, he goes, my dad goes, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I don't know. Tell him $50,000 and I'll sign. So the draft came. <laughs> the fifth round went. Eighth round, 19th round. So the Cincinnati Reds drafted me in the 20th round, came to my house, offered me uh, $1,000 to sign. And my mom used a certain specific <laughs> vocabulary of language, uh, pretty much saying, get out of my house. That is <laughs> so that's how it happened. Okay. And then I, I see. again, I timing see. is everything, I think. Uh, and I was fortunate to get a chance to go to the University of Florida on a full scholarship uh, because a couple guys signed that year. Uh, and they knew that they had a, one of their senior pitchers who had some elbow injuries and they needed another pitcher. And I was fortunate to sign late and become a Gator. And it really, when you look back on it, it was the right, it was the right move for you, for, right? For, for me, looking, it was. Wow. hundred percent. Yeah. If, if I had a kid or these kids in high school were getting six, close to seven figures, I think, I think you need to start your professional baseball career. And that's gotcha. a lot of money to turn down. Right. But, you know, they've got to make the correct choice or the right choice, whichever is better for them. Now the minor leagues, the minor leagues, man. I mean, it's it can go. There's, I'm sure, I'm sure there were guys that you saw that were as good, but for whatever reason, don't make it. It's not like other sports. Some sports, like okay, look at the NFL. Boom, you're on a team. Minor leagues is a grind. I it's mean, a grind. how yeah. did you? How did you? How did you look at it? Were you just be so happy to be playing ball? And then I was fortunate to learn a lesson quick. You know, I wasn't a strikeout pitcher. I didn't know what pitcher I was. When I got signed, I thought I was going to strike out everybody. I didn't throw hard, but I did get enough strikeouts in college. So my first outings uh, in Elmira, New York, when I signed in August in 1993, was I either gave up a walk, a hit, or struck out a guy. So my whip was crazy. Walks, hits, per innings, pitch. It was crazy high. But I had almost double the strikeouts of innings. But the ERA was like a nine, right, my first year in, in Rookie, rookie A ball. The next year, I tried, I put it together. Uh, there was great pitching coaches with the Marlins. Uh, there was an older guy named Marty Demerit helped me out a lot. Uh, even my coach from the University of Florida, Scott Lovecamp, helped me a lot before then. But that's knowing who you are, and that's why the minor leagues is a grind because you want to you want to be like this guy. This guy's he's moving up. He's going to Double A. He's going right. to Triple A. You want to be like him. Right. You want to get called up. You got to figure out what what's your game. You know, you see hitters trying to hit home runs, and they're just a little leadoff guy. You know, put the ball in play, hit the ball on the ground, see what happens. Use your speed. So that it's a grind in itself. But again, timing is everything. I was fortunate to be with the Marlins, an expansion team, and they needed pitching. Right. So for me, you know, I'm not selling myself short. But if it was another team that's been established for years, it may have taken me another year or two to to get to the big leagues. One of my favorite questions here is. What was it like when you got the word that you were getting called up to the major leagues? You were young, right? Yeah. Were you? You were. Yeah, about I, I was twenty-three. Okay, so I signed when I was young. twenty-one, so wow. it, it went pretty quick. Yeah, what was it like? Uh, can, can you remember? Was, I actually uh, yeah, remember. I was in uh, North. I was in um, AAA for the Marlins, uh-huh. and they, it was Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got the phone call saying, "Hey." Um, you're going to be called up. You're going to be pitching against the Astros. Don't tell anybody, but you can't leave until tomorrow. They, they want you driving tomorrow morning. Don't drive tonight. So I talked. I had. I was at my buddy's house, one of our teammates there, and 
I told everybody and I told, I had already told my parents, but I told them too. And they were congratulating me and like, they were like, forget that shit. You get in your car, you pack up now, you go. And I just drove to Gainesville, Florida. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, it's pretty hilarious. End up getting a speeding ticket driving through Waldo, Florida. And I tell this and I tell the, uh, the cop, the Florida Highway Patrolman, I'm like, yeah, oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know it's 35, but it went to 25. Then it went back to 45. Then it's 35. I got confused. I'm sorry. What do I owe? I know I owe this ticket. He goes, you know what? Wait, you're going to be uh, pitching in against the Astros? Well, I'm going to go to the game. I'm going to – can I get four tickets to the Marlins game? I go, yeah, sure. So he goes back to his cop car. True story. I think he's going to give me a warning. He ends up giving me a ticket. You got after I'm, after I was going to give him four tickets. Kidding me? Yeah. Uh, so I was I was like, all right, he's not getting the tickets. <laughs> oh my god! Now I don't know if you know, but your buddy Jason Michaels, when he was doing this podcast, what was it like? What was it like? He was at Scranton Wilkesbury. He gets the call. He drives to Philly. He sure. gets a speeding ticket, and he tells the cop he's going to be pitched, and he he got the ticket too. Yeah. That's a tough one. Oh, my God, for you Nothing guys. Nothing wrong with the cops. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I understand. I understand. Me. Now, um, what, what, what is that like when you're, when you're, when you're first, you know, well, your first game, even your first year, you know, some guys probably you saw on TV. It's, I remember Lou Pinnell would always say, yeah, these guys do great. Wait till they get to double decker stadiums and it's, it's the real thing. See how they do. Like, were you, were you in awe or, or no? I was, I was in awe. Yeah. I think, the, I think the most challenging thing was me was, was the ball was wound so tight. It was so much harder. So that could have been me squeezing the ball so tight because sure. I was so nervous in my first outing. Sure. It only lasted like maybe four innings. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is different. And then it takes time. And, you know, you got to get your feet wet. You got to go back to learning a little bit. Hopefully have the right teammates to help you out and the veterans that can move you along and say, hey, this is the way. You don't need to act like this, but, hey, this is what you should do. Okay, come, come early. Leave late. You're a rookie. Here we go. I see. So you learn a lot from the veterans, no I, doubt. I was going to say. So I, even, like, you know, you mentioned before, even, you know, Cole's mentioning these things have been brought down from years past on way to get sticky stuff, substance on your fingers to get a better break ball. There's rule, there are rules that they're not really in place. You know, for me, you're going you're gonna to penalize a pitcher 10 games because he has pine tar on his fingers or a finger. Right. But yet the Houston Astros can go ahead and cheat the whole year and see you later by not have a single problem. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, you were, we'll get into teased, but Marlins, Expos, I want to ask you about that in Montreal. You know, Astros and Braves. You, know, you were at the Astros back in 2000, so this is yeah. way before that. Did you ever experience, see anything to that level with cheating for hitters? Did a lot of this stuff go on? With a lot a of banging teams. of a garbage can, no. garbage can, no. and video and guys at things. second base, yeah, they would steal signs, right? And then you probably change them hey, or whatever. You better change them up. But if you get caught, and we and the, and the pitcher and the catcher of the other team knows it, there's some consequences. You know, not in the head, of course. Sure. I mean, you got numbers there for a reason on your back. That's that's where you go after. You just drill them right in the ribs if you have to. Wow. And that's take it's policing itself. Union doesn't have to get in. Either does. Uh, Manfred, I mean, it's just done. Simple. Now, with your career, and I was thinking about this last night, like, I would think this would be hard. hard. Marlins, 95, 96. Expos, 97, 98. 
Astros 2000, Braves 2001. Then we get to Japan. You were always, though, on the move. Does Bouncing, it, yeah. Does it matter that much? Or there is something to that, to sure. be familiar with everybody and everything. It was, how they it do was things. frustrating because it was always in at the end of the year when they would designate players for free agency, like close to December. So the one time after I had Tommy John in 1998, the Expos, the general manager for the Expos at the time, called me on my birthday, December 20th, and said, hey, uh, hey, Mark, how you doing? Hopefully all is well, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and designate you for assignment. Pretty much we're releasing you. I was like, oh, sweet, thanks, appreciate it. On your birthday. <laughs> it's a business, man. Oh, my God. It. Oh, my God. Yeah. What was it like? playing for the Montreal Expos. What was it like? That well, was towards about, the end, though. It, it was, as far as the fan base yeah. that was there, mm-hmm. the 7,000 fans, loud, crazy, blowing horns really? into the game. But it was an Olympic stadium, an old stadium that they had built. Uh, it's tough to get to. Uh, you know, not many, not big of a fan base. You know, it's a right. hockey town for sure. Right, right. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I, I love the people there, the food. Summertime was great. May, April, May, it's cold there. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> no, I know. But, yeah. I, but, I, but I do, anybody that ever played there did say it was, they, they liked it. Yes, they really yeah, did absolutely. Like it. Now, you went over to Japan. Uh, with the Hanshin Tigers and then the Dragons. And again, it was like one year and then the next year. And I was lucky enough to cover the years ago the Rays played against the Yankees and then the teams would play against Hanshin. I was blown away on how they just love baseball. Oh, my God. They had, when the two teams came over and the first day was just batting practice, they put it on live and there was 45,000. And they had little leaguers, like back when I put all in their uniforms, like, what are, was that a great experience and for you? Beautiful, awesome experience for me for the three years I was there. I mean, even seeing there's a high school tournament in Koshin Stadium, which is where the Hanshin Tigers uh, play. And they have like a 64-team high school baseball tournament, like our basketball, March Madness. And they have 64 high school baseball teams play a whole month get it all done, and it is packed. 50,000 people for a high school game. Unbelievable. So can you imagine if our kids here in the state of Florida anywhere played in front of 50,000 people? No. It's a different It's a different level between 500 people at a high school game compared to 50,000. I mean, I, I, was, I was shocked. Uh, the fans are rabid. They love, they love their team, and they're loud every inning. They're always singing chants to every batter who comes up. Uh, they're engaged in every pitch. They just love their sports there, and they and they love their their heroes per se. The quality of baseball, it seemed to me, and I had studied it pretty good. Like their fundamentals were off the charts. You know what I mean? They put in a lot of more time, a lot of work. But it seemed like the Americans are, on the whole, bigger, little stronger. I would see some pitchers are yeah. good, but I didn't see. Am I right on that? Yeah. Okay. What they, was the difference? On fundamentals and everything, uh, they do uh, quantity over quality. And they'll just pound 100 ground balls at you, and you miss one, you have another 100. Wow. Whereas here in the States, we're not going to kill the guys, and you know, we'll give them 50, 75 ground balls. You miss a couple, hey, finish on a good one. Not killing the guy for an hour and a half you know, before the game, and then he's going to go and perform and everything like that. So – they, they for sure are uh, quantity. 
I of see. Equality. Was that hard for you to get used to? No, I, used, they, okay. I bought into it. It's their way. Okay. It's their okay. culture. Um, I saw how other foreigners tried to backlash and not want to be a part of it. Uh-huh. They were like, this is ridiculous. That's, you're in their country, so you, you better abide by their rules. And I got hurt two years with Chinichi Dragons, and they, you know, they signed me back for another year. So I got that second-year deal. Nice. I think probably, hopefully, because I just shut my mouth and you know, worked hard, and they liked me and got along with the players and tried to learn a little bit of Japanese. So I was going to ask you. you just, yeah, you've you got to put the effort in. It's not just playing the ball, the game. You've know? you got to try to take in their culture and go from there. And I loved it. I really did. Wow. Did it take you a while to get used to their food? They don't, they no, don't I liked I kind of already like kind of sushi anyway. So Boy, that was perfect. Easy. I mean, but they're eating, <laughs> they're eating fish at <laughs> 6.30 in the morning waking up. <laughs> and then a couple cigarettes. So. That's the other thing. I yeah. couldn't believe it in the Tokyo Dome. They were chain smoking. That but, was but in our I, locker room. We had a, a smoking section you, and a non-smoking section in our locker room. kidding yeah. me. Yeah, that was, that was tough to get used to because it was one side was all so then you took a couple of years off before you decided two or three years was it before you got into coaching i took yeah i took about a, basically a year and a half off okay. to figure it out mm-hmm. end up getting the coaching job at jesuit high school as a pitching coach oh i didn't realize that it started yeah, i was there, there okay. for only a short period of time um the mets had called got in touch touch with uh, my agent at the time and said, hey, we're looking for a pitching coach for one of our A-ball teams. So I'm like, this is, all right, this is big. This is happening quick. Yeah. So I decided to fly up to New York. They interviewed me. They let me know within 24 hours that I got the job. And then I told the Jesuit, you know, kids. And, and Richie Warren was the uh, head coach at the time. I said, this is a dream of mine. I want to try to get back to the big leagues if of I course. can. And we'll see what happens. So I lasted 12 years with them. And it was great 12 years with the Mets. Got to meet a lot of great coaches. Uh, a few of the coaches now are like Luis Rojas. He's of course. the manager for the Mets. Uh, we're close. He's a very, very nice guy. Uh, and a bunch of all the players that are still there and still playing for other teams now. It's, it's fun to watch that you were around them at a short period of time, and hopefully they learned a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of names, man, including DeGrom. And we were just kind of kidding around before you started. But I did want to ask you, like, okay, you've been in the bigs. And you played in China or uh, Japan, uh-huh. and now you're in like Kingsport. It was at Kingsport, Kingsport Tennessee. Yeah. Like to go from that, but did you realize, hey, this this is where I got to start? Like this is how it goes. Like that's got to be a change from everything is five star to like now you're there. Oh, it was it took me a good year, a season, or almost two to figure out? Okay, what's my niche? How do I teach these kids how to get better? I can't talk to them like they've already been the big leagues or. They have all this experience. You gotta, you gotta give them tough love a little bit sometimes. I see, I see. And okay, so you kept moving up, moving up, and then I think it was Binghamton, and then Port St. Yep. Lucie, and then so what happened? It was ten, twelve years, I think. Twelve years, yeah, twelve total. years. Okay, I loved so it. I, I you really did. Port I can see it in your eyes. Okay. Oh my goodness, yeah. I mean, you're in the Florida State League yeah. here. Hi, hey. It's three hours, the longest trip. I can get back to Tampa, my hometown, which we love so much, anytime I wanted. Uh, That I tell you, the the Florida State League, if you're a coach, this is where you want to be. If not, the big leagues. Really? Isn't that so? Because the kids are still young. They're still going to absorb. They're going to want to listen to you. They're not going to be 28, 29-year-olds that know it all Uh and that are in AAA, and they're all – and a lot of them are, like, angry that they're not in the big leagues yet, but yet they still have to get better. There's a reason why they're in AAA. And most of the time, they're just not ready yet. 
I see. Yeah. So now what you're doing, so how did, okay, so you were there with the Mets. Did you decide, did this opportunity come up? Did you talk to Jason at the big league approach? Or were you like, I'm done and now I'll see what I'm going to do? No, it was mostly the Mets wanting to say a change. They they said, congrats, you know, you were here 12 years. I see. Uh, we're thinking about making a change. I see. And at that point in time, I knew that they were going to want to part ways because uh, I was enjoying where I was at in the Florida State League, but they also knew that I wanted to move up, uh-huh. and they already had coaches there. So they thought the best thing was let me go early, gotcha. try to get with another team and go from there. So I emailed a bunch of other teams, and nothing ever transpired that was good for the, their organization or me. And right. Jason, again, close with my brothers, um, said, hey, you know what, it's a good gig. You know, a lot of kids love pitching coaches and hitting coaches. They're doing a lot down here. You know, come join me. And I was like, all right, please and thank you. And so far, he's, he's doing a great job. He's been doing this for years now, and I've been doing it since 2019. So I'm still building my clientele, and it's working. So, so far, so good. What's the biggest thing that you think you've learned coming from organized professional ball to now coaching kids? Kids? Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing that you've well, i got to think a little bit more before I talk, because sometimes <laughs> there could be a nice cuss word that comes out. <laughs> you got to hey, watch out for it, that man. The eight-year-old, because the eight-year-old is going to pick it up real quick. <laughs> uh, but no, most of the kids, do they want, do they want to learn? Do you, yeah, do you oh, they do. Okay. They do big time. I, I, I show them things that we did in the minor leagues. Oh, that's great. Uh, with the Mets. You know, I know a lot of these coaches and a lot of players, too, they have the armbands and they do all these type of exercise drills before they start throwing which is key you know it's key you got it you got to you can't just stretch and all of a sudden go through the ball and think everything's gonna be fine uh-huh. you got to get a little blood flow going in the arms shoulders back and go from there so i even tell that's what i, I try to give these kids uh, a routine you know they go to the ballpark they should learn they should know to stretch get going throw a certain way and go from there see that's great yeah that's don't just great. throw the ball to me as i'm playing catch with you right little johnny little eight-year-old no let's have a purpose behind this throw this pitch everyone so i i hammer even pretty good young, it's even hard that, even that yeah, young, you why not wow why not t- teach them early you know there's so many good coaches around here in, in tampa and in the state of florida that if these kids can learn from ex-professional major mm-hmm. league baseball players mm-hmm. then the sky's the limit for them because when i played i didn't have that I just had great dad, great family members, and other coaches that would help me out. They never played, but now these kids now today they get guys like Jason Michaels and a bunch of other. There's a lot. In there's this a area. lot of good coaches out there. So that's amazing. Yeah, I think. Well, can you imagine that? We, we never even saw a major leaguer come to where we were. You know, right. or the funny thing is when Joe Madden was here, he's now with the Angels. When he was here, and he would try different stuff. You know, he's known for that. And he had American Legion Day. I said, American Legion Day? What are you talking about? He goes, you know, you just pull up in your car, you're already dressed, and you go out. There's no BP or anything like that. And I was I was laughing. That's <laughs> Outside the box. And he went to Safety Harbor, the, the American Legion, the post number, mm-hmm. and they came there that day, and it was funny. And the guys were already dressed, so it was funny. But, I mean, sometimes you do it. It is a long grind, it right? It gets you out of that, that grind. It's good to have a routine, again, but it gets you out of it. You know, you... Like I said, you think a little bit outside the box. Okay, now you're refreshed. Now you're back. Now you're set. You need a break. You got to have a break. That's what guys have need a day off. Yeah. They got to have a day off every now and then. All right. It's the big league approach. You can Google it if you're in the Tampa Bay area. 
you do the pitching, yep. coaching, yes. Jason does hitting, and it's a big thing too, mental. Are you in that same wavelength as what Jason um, believes in? Big time. It's between the years. Most of it's between the years. I mean, there's so many average, below average big leaguers that had over 10 plus years, but the reason why they had over 10 plus years, they had the work ethic, the routine, and they had it between the years. Wow. Wow. Mark, For sure. Thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, Rock. Thank you so much. I also want to thank his good buddy, Jason Michaels, from the Big League Approach, who teaches hitting, but mental, the mental side of it, besides the swing and the fundamentals, which you have to have in any sport, you know, to try to make it to that next level. Try to get the college scholarship. Start with that. But when I interviewed uh, Jason, and I was coming out of the Big League Approach at the Michaels Center, this it's in an office complex. <laughs> yeah, right off of North uh, Dale Mabry in Tampa, Tampa. And I was coming out and and Mark was walking in and he had the big league approach shirt on. And I didn't really recognize him. Like I said, he was with the Marlins, he was with the Mets, he, he was with the uh, the uh, the, uh, the Yankees for a little bit, the, these teams. And I covered the Tampa Bay Rays for years. He was a Ray for a very short time, but but anyway, I didn't really recognize him, you know, but I saw the big league approach and I was walking out. I had my gear and I, and I said, Oh, the big league approach. I said, Oh, Jason Michaels, what a good dude. He goes, he is a good guy. He's Mark Valdez. Hey, Hey, how are you? He goes, you interviewed me a long time ago, many, many years ago. And, uh, just real briefly. And I said, Jason's a good dude, isn't he? And he goes, he is a good guy. I said, you're with him now. That's great. And he goes, I was with the Mets. And I said, yeah, I know that. And I said, all right, great. Have a great day. But I could just tell. By my interaction right there, no more than two minutes that he was a good guy and that when I got to my car, I'm like, damn, Mark Valdez, he pitched in the bigs. Yeah, that's right. He was a pitching coach. I got to get him on the podcast, but I didn't, you got to wait a little bit, you know what I mean? But I thought, all right, boom, number one, that's another bucket list. I want to get him on. And then I waited, 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 did all these other interviews. And then I said it was time to hit up Jason Michaels. And when I texted Jason, I said, Jason, how you doing? Hey, listen, man, thanks again for doing the podcast. That was many, many weeks ago. And I said, uh, do you think Mark, I don't have Mark's you know, info. Do you think Mark would uh, do the podcast with me? And he gets back to me. He goes, oh, definitely. Here's all his, here's his, you know, his contact info. And he goes, I'm on my way to the lightning game. Uh, Stanley Cup playoff game and I'm like and I was sitting in the auxiliary press box out amongst the fans when I was texting him I go funny you say that I'm here and uh just good dudes good guys man I'm about being a good person like I've, I've said many 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 times I used to go and speak in front of in colleges university students journalism students students that wanted to get into this business and the number one thing no matter anybody, anybody ask me advice because I love what I do. I've been able to do it for many, many years. It doesn't feel like work. Very, very fortunate. But my biggest piece of advice is don't be a jerk. Don't be an asshole. That's it. That's the number one thing because I don't care what line of business it is. If you're good at what you do, at whatever line of business you do, all right, beautiful. Boom. You're good at what you do. But if you are an asshole, if you are a jerk, if you can't get along with people and you're just you just 
nobody wants to be around that. You're not going to last. And then especially if you get a little bit older and you're looking for work. Oh, and you're an ass. Boom. You ain't never getting that. Nobody's going to call you. That's my biggest piece of advice. You got to get along with people. You don't have to like everybody. You know, human nature, you're not going to get along. You're not going to like this guy or no, really don't jive with that person. But you have to be able to get along. Go in with the glass half full. And then if they screw you over and then they're a jerk off, okay, boom, I don't deal with you. Boom, you're gone. But I just like good people. And that's what I try to bring in these podcasts, man. Good people. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. And I know there's been downs, ups and downs. So he had some really good stories there. What is it with the part? What is it with the speeding ticket? You know, Jason, Michaels was on his way from AAA, driving down to Philly to the vet to play in his first major league game. And he gets a ticket, even though the cop knows that he's going to be a major leaguer and he's going to try to help him out. He gives him a ticket. How about Mark Valdez? He's driving. He gets the call up from AAA. The cop says, give me four tickets. Yeah, I can take care of that. Goes back to the car. Still comes back and gives him a ticket. And But as Mark says, we're all about the police. We're for the police. The police have a really, really thankless job. It's very, very hard. The majority of them are good cops. But what is it with giving these guys tickets, man? Come on now. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. All right, a couple of things that I got to... I, I do want to tell you about my trip because if you've, <laughs> I'm sure just about everybody that is listening to this, you have flown. You've flown somewhere on a trip, right? You know what? I'm going to get into it right now, okay? Let me do that and then a couple of other topics here. So I try to keep it somewhat sports and entertainment. But so I fly to a little airport I've never flown before. I did, I did a whole trip, even though it was back in my neck of the woods, I went a little bit different. I flew to a really small airport called Stewart. They call it International, Stewart International in Newburgh, New York. This trip back, there was a couple of things I wanted to do. Both of my my mother and my father are, are dead and they are buried in Scranton, Pennsylvania. That's where they grew up. Now, I was only living in Scranton, PA for one year. I was a little infant one year. The mines closed down. It was an economically depressing city. And my father relocated to New Jersey, a town called Dover. And that's where I grew up. And that's my brothers were born in Denville. And then Dover was where we lived. And that, you know, uh, that was the deal. But my graves, you know, my father's been gone a long time. And my mother fairly recently. And I just wanted to go visit her grave. And then I went to my aunts and I went to my grandfather, grandmother, who I had never met. They had passed before I was born. But I wanted to make that trip. But I also didn't want to stay in Scranton, PA, because I don't know anybody. And Sussex County, New Jersey is unique. You still can drive into the city, but you're far enough away that you are in the mountains. Vernon Valley, New Jersey, there's a ski resort. Uh, You know, they ski there in the winter. Uh, they used to be called Action Park. Oh, my God. That, they, there's a documentary done on that. Uh, it was very dangerous. But anyway, I started out my radio career at WSUS FM 102.3 Sussex County, New Jersey. I was the news and sports reporter there. And then I started in local TV and went to Plants, blah, blah, blah. But I had a great life there. 
I, at first I used to mock it out because it was so rural. And then I started liking it, liking it. And I ended up getting this deal with a developer that didn't want to go through planning and zoning boards and a, a father-in-law at the time who has since passed. He was a county commissioner and he said, stick with that, man. Don't give that up. You stay, you, you know, I got a lawyer for you. Blah, 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 blah. Did ended up getting a house. I was only 27 years old in the, on the, uh, like in next to a mountain with it with over an acre and then my neighbor and I just became friends with my neighbor and he was in a rock band, a construction worker with his wife and, and I met these guys and then we play and I just had a great, great time. It was a great time in my life. I stayed there five years and I said, you know what? Why don't I fly back? And I got the approval from my wife, a quick little trip, three days, two nights. Let me stay up there in Sussex County. Let me, let me see where I used to live. Also, I had had a wife that passed away. She had cancer. She, uh, we, we were married for two years and uh, I wanted to go to that grave and that's there. And, and, you know, and she was a teacher and there was a dedicated, uh, what do you call it? A little playground. I hadn't been in bed there in 20 years and, you know, so blah, 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 blah. So I, I was able to accomplish that. And I also met up with the program director for the radio station where I started. He's a young guy, Steve Allen. I never met him. I followed him on Facebook. I knew there's a couple of people that still are there. I did see one, the head of sales. She's great, Sean. Um, and anyway, I ended up like the day before, no planning, going to this music festival. Rock, ribs, and ridges. You know, you're in the ridge of the mountains, ribs, and rock bands. And, and I had no idea. And it was the most unbelievable weekend. Um, I'm driving, and it was great. You go to one of these little airports, and you get out, and you can walk to your rental car. You know what I mean? You don't have to take any tram. There's no bus that you got to get on. And it's just like, whoa. I was like, I'm in this little Newburgh, New York. And, oh, and I see some mountains. And it's like, Life is slowed, slowed, slowed down, you know, and I'm driving and then I got my, 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 thank God for the car, uh, f- the phone, you know, you know, on the uh, 10 miles from now, take exit 22, you know, it tells you everything, man. And I'm coming along and then I got over to New York state and then Pine Island. I remember the dirt was real, real, real. Like I see the farmers out there and they're picking and I'm, I'm like, Wow. I hadn't been to Orange County, New York. I was hardly ever in Orange County, New York. So I'm coming over. I'm boom. I cross into New Jersey. Boom. And I start like, oh, my God. And I had this little, I went cheap because I don't want to spend a lot of money. It's just me. I don't have to have the, it was a little, little place right in the mountain in Vernon, inexpensive. There's nothing. They don't really have anything there. There was guys that were working on a, um, a road project. We're staying there. They know how to grill out in their trucks. They're at night. They're doing, I was almost going to join those guys. But anyway, here, here, quick little story. I'm driving over the mountain, coming into crossing New York state into New Jersey, but you're upper, upper New Jersey. Okay. And I'm coming over and I'm listening to the two stations, the station where I worked 102.3 WSUS, like a top 40 hits eighties. And then a rock station, NNJ. 
And I flip over to that and I hear a voice track of this Baracio. He's the morning guy. And he's like, rock, ribs, and ridges. You know, Blackberry Smoke, Artemis Pyle, you know, Mar- Marshall Tucker, you know, Pat Travers, you know, Outdoor Festival, ribs. And I, and I didn't hear the date. And I was like, oh, wow, that sounds so cool. Outdoor Music Festival. I love outdoor music festivals, man. And I was like, wow, I wonder if that's going to be like in August or October. Oh, wow, that'd be cool to come to. You know, maybe I'll come back for that. That was it. That's the last I heard of it. And I, and boom, and I come and I check in my little place. And then I was just going to Facebook message this guy, Steve Allen from the radio station. And he texts me or hits me up. And he's like, are you coming today or tomorrow? I'm like, I'm free right now. He goes, I want to take you for a beer at the Irish cottage. I'm like, I'm in. I'll see you there in five minutes. And it started right like that. It drives my wife crazy. Like nothing was planned other than I wanted to go to the graves of my parents in Scranton, PA sometime during this little three day, two night trip. And that's it. (laughs) Nothing planned. And boom, now I'm all of a sudden I'm over here. This place is great. They got outdoor, a tent, a covering. We're having beers. I'm, 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 I'm reminiscing, you know, talking with him and I'm here and I'm like, this is great. And then it turns out, you know, hey, do you want to go to this Rock Ribs and Ridges? Went Saturday, and this is like Thursday late. You got tickets? Sean has tickets. We can get in. VIP parking. I'm in. All right, I'll go to Scranton Friday. So next thing you know, boom, boom, boom. So I go to Scranton. I do everything that I got to do. Friday, I come back. I drink some beers in my uh, little little hotel room, little motel, and I, I bring my laptop. I was planning on trying to do a podcast with Todd Frazier. He's with the a minor league team now because he's going to play in the Olympics. He used to play for the Mets, the Yankees, the the God, the Todd father. And the guy didn't get back to me from the minors, independent, blah, blah, blah. It turned out that's fine, but I brought my laptop anyway. I open my laptop. I go on YouTube. I start looking at listening to some music, some concerts. You know what I mean? I'm hanging. I'm chilling. Blackberry Smoke. I got turned on to them by a friend. Well, what happened was Blackberry Smoke comes up on my YouTube. I click on that. I'm listening to live concert Blackberry Smoke. I'm kind of hanging there in my little motel room. I know the next day I'm going to go to a music festival. Check this out. So I see this, blah, 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 blah. I hang for a little bit. I go to bed. I get up and I wake up and I say, you know what? I know I'm going to this music festival today. I wonder who's playing. I didn't even know who was playing. I knew that Derek Trucks, Trucks Almond Brothers band, the the kids of the Almond Brothers, they played Friday night. That was the night I was just in my motel room. And I know that they I knew that they were playing. That was it. And I knew Artemis Pyle was playing on Sunday. And I look at my ticket, the headliner is Blackberry Smoke, who I just was listening to on my YouTube on my laptop, rocking out to the night before. No idea. And now I'm gonna see them later today. Like it was just un stinking believable and then we get well i get a text we're gonna meet i end up in the parking lot at this place mineral sports club a resort up there in the mountains and we pull up it was like i was 22 years old again when you meet with friends and 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 boom and then i meet his friend this dude is in new york but he also comes on weekends very successful oh he was great and my other friend, this guy got divorced. He hangs here. Blah, blah, blah. How you doing? And then the four of us took off and we ended up bonding at the, uh, at the rib, the rib fest and the, 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 the event. We're there for five, six hours in the sun. 
Oh my God. It was unbelievable. It was just a great, great weekend. But here's my last story. Here's my last story. It's not all roses. And no, this, everything was good. But what is the worst thing when you fly? You don't want to get stuck with a crying baby. Am I right? Am I right? If it's your baby, it's different. It's still nerve wracking. So on this flight, and the flight is packed, by the way, from St. Pete Clearwater Airport to Little Newburgh, Stewart International. There was a young couple that had this baby boy that wailed. I'm talking about on the flight from St. Pete to Newburgh, New York, this baby wailed for a good, if the flight was two and a half hours, two hours. And it was about five rows back for me on the other side. Okay. Yeah. Everybody deals with it. And I was like, wow, what if somebody gets really ticked off and goes off? You never know with these flights. I'm watching too many of these fight videos come out of my feet. I don't like them. So, but you know, they're doing their best. What are you going to do? So you suck it up. And that was it. I forgot about them. You know, the guy, he had like almost like a Mohawk, the kid, he's a big guy, the father, and they, they were young. And that was that, that was that. And so now my weekend is done. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. It was on a Sunday morning. I actually stopped in a diner. There's something about diners in New York, New Jersey, an old fashioned diner. I think it was in Goshen, New York. Oh my, it was crowded on a Sunday and I got myself some eggs and some home fries and some rye toast and I had it to go and oh, it was good. An old fashioned diner. It was great. So everything couldn't be better. And I get my gas right there in the little town before I'm going to bring it back. And I see when I'm pulling into the rental car lot, I see the dude with the Mohawk and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They're on my, they're on this flight again. Uh, Oh, well, oh, well. So get on the flight, sit next to a lady next to me. Here comes Mohawk and the wailing baby and the wife and you know how when they're walking towards you, you're looking like, don't, 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 don't be, don't, I hope it's not close. I hope it's not close. I hope it's not close. <sighs> same row, same freaking row. And this baby is wailing, going in to the row. The flight is two hours and 28 minutes. You're sitting there before they get situated a good half hour. And you're still with a packed flight. You're still another 10 minutes to 15 minutes when you land. Out of the three, uh, three and a half hours, let's call it three hours and 15 minutes. This baby wailed for two hours and 45 minutes. And I mean wail. Look, they did their best. They tried walking him. They did. There's something not right. And, you know, so there you go. There you go. It ain't all roses. It was great. Hung in there and made it through and got out and I am back. But boy, oh boy, these flights are packed, are packed, are packed. All right, what else do I got here? I don't want to go too long. I went a little longer with the story, but I I, I figured what the heck. You know, we got the Olympics now and just the one thing that really kind of is kind of, I think it's ridiculous. Use common sense. So if you're transgender, if you're in transition, you if you're a man and you take the drugs and you're in the transition, 
you can compete against other females. If you are biologically a man, transgender, you can compete. I saw a footage of this man, and he's a bigger dude, and he's competing in the women's weightlifting in the Olympics. That shouldn't be. That's not right. That is not right. And yet, the track star from our country, the 21-year-old girl that smoked a little bit of pot in Oregon during the trials, she she can't run in the 100 meters. So you're telling me she's 21, it's in Oregon, where it's legal. Now, I know the doping rules. And it's listen, weed is not, marijuana is not a performance enhancer. That's not going to make her run faster. I just think that it's absurd. I, I just, I just don't, I, I just don't get that, and I, I, it bothers me. There was a guy. I saw a guy at a junior college. I saw a story of a man that went back to college, you know, full time. He used to play basketball. The guy was six foot seven. He was going about two eighty five. Now he was in his forties, late forties, but because he is transgender, he was able to compete on the women's basketball team. It it didn't look right. Does that seem right to you? It just doesn't seem right to me. But the Olympics are going on. The ratings even for the trials were very, very good. Very, very good. So there are people that are watching. But I I, I just think that it's, it's absurd. All right. Hey, real quickly, NFL, we're weeks away now from camp. Hard Knocks, HBO's Hard Knocks, has announced that the Dallas Cowboys are going to be on Hard Knocks. It's the third time around. Now, Jerry Jones is a publicity hound. But you know what? Any guy, any former player that I have talked to that has played on the Dallas Cowboys all give me glowing reports with Jerry Jones. They say that he knew everything about them and their families. Uh, when you get there, they set you up with a rental car for, is it a week or two weeks or three weeks? They set you up in a hotel. Um, maybe it's even a month. I mean, everything is taken care of you. And Jerry Jones knows he's at practice all the time. He knows about his players. They all say great things about him. They really do. I know he likes to be on camera and all that, but you know what, man? I like hearing, that's why I like I doing these, I like hearing those type of stories. Now, I can tell you this. The one thing that I can tell you, I was at Bucks camp, covering training camp. It was with JoeBucksFan.com, doing video. Like, I don't think I missed a camp. Every single day I was there. And when HBO's Hard Knocks was there. So I see how they operate. Yeah. I Listen, I also... Talk to the producer. I talked to the guy from NFL Films and also HBO. They work with the NFL, the league. They're not out to show you any kind of plays or secrets that they're going to put on there that's going to give opponents an advantage. That's not what they do. They bring you behind the scenes. Now, is it disrupt disruptive? After a while, you just kind of do notice that, wow, they have access, like they're out there, you know, and they had a lot of young people that were working um, and they know what they're doing. Like they do a really good job. Now, the Atlanta Falcons had been on hard knocks and the Atlanta Falcons head coach at the time was Mike Smith. Mike Smith was the defensive coordinator a couple of years ago when when hard knocks was at the Bucks. 
And I talked to him and he said that because he was the head coach with the Atlanta Falcons and he goes, here's the deal. They'll come to you before it all starts and they say, we won't put on anything. We're going to show you what we're going to put on and you can come into the room every single day after we shoot. And if there's something that you see that we're thinking about putting in, you tell us you don't want that in, we won't put it in. Seriously, that's how it works. That's what he said. That's what they do. But here's also what happens. You know what he said? He goes, the first day he was in there, he looked, and then he's like, I don't have time to be coming in here and 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 seeing, I trust you guys. You're with the NFL. You're with NFL Films. You're with HBO. Like, I don't, I, I, you know what I mean? And that's basically how it works. That's my understanding. So it'll be interesting to see, but, they do have access where regular media doesn't. You do kind of get used to them being there, but it is a little strange. Like when they're out on the field and the offense is going against the defense, there's a camera crew with a, with an audio person with a long boom mic that's right out there behind like the quarterback or out there. Like they're, they're right there. But I, you know, and most of the players that I talk to, they're like, we're so used to being filmed. Look at every practice, every single practice walkthrough. When you're at an NFL level, everything is videotaped. There are cameras up high. There are cameras down low. Each team, the, These teams have full production. And these kids are used to being videotaped and, and with cameras because most of them come from big-time programs. And that, so that's, that's my, that's my behind-the-scenes hard knocks because I was there every day and I saw what they do. The other thing is too, big programs with the NC, with the uh, judge ruling that the players in college now can get monetized. They can get paid for their likeness. It's about freaking time. This is America. If you are, you know, you look at LSU versus Alabama, let's say college football. You see these aerial shots, man. You see death Valley. You see 100,000 fans. You see at Ohio State. You see at Michigan, the big house. You know, these kids, man, they're, no, they're not getting paid for their, their likeness. They should be able to. Yeah, I know they get the full scholarship. It is big, big business. And those laws and rules were antiquated. They're outdated. And it's about damn time. And it's the same thing with, with, with the sprinters. She takes a couple of puffs off of weed, which is legal, and she's banned. And yet yet the uh, transgender male weightlifter can 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 be on in on the women's uh, event. It's it's it, it's ridiculous. All right, you know what? I I think that's about it. What do you think? You think that's pretty good? I thank you so much. Please, man, spread the word. Spread the word, spread the word. And all of you that have been with me since day one. I appreciate you. It's us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Until next Tuesday, it is the Rock Stops here. Thank you. And let's just keep on enjoying life. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. 
If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or if you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 